Greetings, folks. Repeat here. I just wanted to give you a heads up briefly that we are going to split this show into two episodes, but both will be released over the next day or two. The reason is we had almost two hours with our guest, and I want you to be able to hear it, and I want you to be able to hear it together, but I wanted to break the show up in order to allow you to keep better track of where you were in the show So if you need to pause and come back to it, that sort of thing, you aren't trying to find your place in a two-plus-hour show. This is an amazing interview with Tammy Jo Schultz, captain of Southwest 1380. You may remember the story, you may not, but you won't forget it once you hear it. Thanks so much for joining us. Check six. Southwest 1380 has an engine fire descending. Southwest 1380, uh, are you descending right now? Yes, sir. We're single engine descending. Have a fire number one. All right, Southwest 1380. Uh, okay, where would you like to go to? What airport? Give us a vector for your closest. Philadelphia. We're defining 250. Okay, heading 250. We're looking at uh, Philly. You're listening to the podcast, so there I was. It's how every great aviation tale begins. This is episode 34. 34. Yes, it is. (laughs) 5 January 2023. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Yes, happy New Year. And what a great great show this is going to be. So much fun to have this special guest on call sign bonnie one of the first female aviators to fly the hornet i had the pleasure of meeting her in 1988 she was one of my flight instructors at vt26 in beeville texas i don't think she talks on the show about how she got the call sign so i'll briefly cover that here her instructor when she was going through 26 was a captain clyde and her maiden name was bunnell so they put her on the schedule as bonnie and clyde and Got a kick out of that. And then you go, and then it just stuck. It stuck, right? <laughs> there are a lot worse call signs and a lot worse oh. ways to get a call sign. <laughs> oh, buddy, don't we know that? I wanted to mention before the show here, I wanted to mention that we've got the website. So there I was.us. We mention it all the time, but people have come up to me and said, Oh, do you have a picture of this or a picture of that? Yeah, it's on the website. Each one of these shows we put out has at least one picture that is relevant to that episode. If you use the Apple Podcasts app, we chapterize the show, and as the chapters change, often the picture in the show will change. There are awesome pictures, too. Yeah, we asked a guest to send uh, the you know some photos from their historical files, and they're awesome. We have a glossary up on the website, so if you hear the terms that we're using and they aren't familiar to you, Go to the website. It's there in the glossary. Sign up for an account on our website, and you'll get the links to the shows that we put up there on Rumble. Several of the shows have already been recorded and are up on Rumble in video format now. But I digress. One of the first female Hornet pilots, and she really broke some glass ceilings. It was not an easy go for her, starting with trying to get in to the military, but once she got in, she was all set and then had a special day, as I recall, Fig. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite stories that she told, and actually it's in her book. And her book was an amazing read. I think I read it in two days. But, yeah, she got set up the day she checked into AOCS, Aviation Officer Candidate School. She got set up by a young ensign that just had graduated, apparently, 
I'm not going to ruin it for you, but it was a practical joke, the likes of which she still laughs about, although at the time it wasn't very funny for her. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> but she handled that with grace and kept her head high and kept going and I think was the right person at the right time to be one of the ones to break the glass ceiling. She never got angry. She just kept her head down. And so impressive. She really is. Her story is so impressive and inspiring. I was just so impressed, first of all, by meeting her and then interviewing her and listening to her stories. But when I read her book and put it all together, what a class act, what a, what a really class act and an awesome aviator. She is. And I think by fate and by faith, she happened to be the right place at the right time and the person who was best suited to save Southwest Airlines 1380. When things went to crap that day, a lot of decisions had to be made and she led that team and she credits in her book very well the fact that there were people in the back, passengers and crew alike, who showed leadership and made themselves part of the team and effectively made her job easier in the front office. And her, her first officer, she credits him a great deal in the book, as, as she should. They worked well together. But I had no idea until I read the book that this was more than an engine failure. And, okay, yeah, so it broke a window, and sadly it, it killed a passenger. But they almost didn't make it. It almost killed 144 passengers and five crew. No, it was, uh, it was significant. And, and honestly, I, I really think if it wasn't for her past experience and her knowledge of uh, aerodynamics and the way you fly an airplane that's been out of control and back in control, that probably wouldn't have ended up as well as it did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just can't say it any better than that. She talks about it in the book. The book is so good that you and I both agree that uh, we need to present it to folks in the training departments at our airline so that they can look at it and glean lessons to be taught to other airline pilots. No, there, there are some valuable nuggets there uh, that I, I think we should discuss and teach up, up and coming aviators at our, at our airlines. Just sometimes you got to think outside the box. Absolutely. In fact, uh, the title of the book available on Amazon is nerves of steel and she isn't doing that to toot her own horn. She was asked by the EMT after the flight, how'd you get through TSA with those nerves of steel? Because she was just as calm and relaxed as could be. Her heartbeat was right there. Her blood pressure was right there. It was, <laughs> and I often say, I think I sounded under more stress the last time I ordered a cheeseburger at the McDonald's drive-thru than she did when she was telling Philadelphia Approach she had an emergency aircraft. So, right, right. Yeah. Nerves yep. of Steel, it's a fabulous it's a book. Story. It's a fabulous show coming up. Enjoy the time with Bonnie as at much night. as we did, please. Don't sit on the ejection handle. Cockpit. Don't sit on it. And enjoy on the show. On the tanker, <laughs> through the weather... Oh, and to the uh, tanker crew who uh, did that. Thanks a lot. We really appreciated that. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Well, there I was crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun. So there I was. Which is how all great aviation stories start. And... I'm excited for this interview. I've been waiting for this for, I don't know, how many weeks. 
repeat. Take it away, buddy. My co-host. Co-host repeat here with Fig in, uh, I think he's in Kansas City today. I am. I am. From New Hampshire. There you go. Yeah, and we have with us today a very special guest, someone whom I've known for at least four or five years now. Oof. We first met in the 80s, so it's been it's been a while, but we've been talking for a couple months now about getting her on the show, and we have with us today, uh, by way of introduction, she was one of my flight instructors in Beeville, Texas in 1988, <laughs> and she won't call herself a hero, but I'm going to embarrass her right up front. Uh, she's a heroine, heroine in so many ways. One of the first females to get to fly the Hornet. Very cool. It took a lot of perseverance. And it took a lot of stick to that I don't think I would have had, Fig. Yeah. I, I just don't I, think I would. And then most of the nation got to hear a little bit of her story back in 2018 when uh, a Southwest jet flying from LaGuardia to Dallas encountered uh, uncontained engine failure on the left-hand side. And I thought, wow, you know, the engine came apart. And, and tragically, one of the passengers on the jet was sitting near a window where a piece of that engine came uh, destroyed the window and, and it pulled her partially out the window. Jennifer Reardon was her name and she uh, unfortunately passed from her injuries that day. But 148 other people survived. And boy, I read your book, Nerves of Steel, is available in, on Amazon. When I read the book, I went, wow, the extremist that that airplane was in, you came a lot closer to losing it than I ever thought that day. And so I am doubly impressed. So having embarrassed you thoroughly up front on the front of things, Bonnie, welcome. We're excited to hear all the fun stuff, all the hard stuff, uh, the tragic and the hilarious. Welcome. Yes, welcome. I know because I read your book, but uh, take us back to the beginning. How is it you became interested in airplanes and what made you think, you know, that you could fly one? Because, you know, girls don't fly airplanes, right? (laughs) Well, thank you, Reed. What a different time. (laughs) You know, I just, I grew up in Southern New Mexico and saw Air Force jets overhead doing their fighter lead-in training. Our our ranch was kind of the last thing in civilization close to the MOA there. And um, we had a huge hay barn. So they would use that ground reference point uh, to do their their practice. And I was usually... Uh, moving organic fertilizer from wherever it fell to wherever dad wanted it <laughs> and, uh, when I saw this air show. And um, it was in the day before uh, cell phones and the internet, and our ranch was a little too far out for telephone uh, or television. So I just started looking up or checking out books on pilots and airplanes and came across a story in a Jungle Book no, Jungle Pilot, Jungle Book. There you go. <laughs> That's a different story. Jungle, yeah. yeah it's a great yeah. book too. <laughs> yeah, but there's more four-feeted uh, people in that. Yeah. But um, so Jungle Pilot about the history of Nate Saint and how he got started in the military in World War II in aviation and then went on to be a commercial pilot and a bush pilot and all for no money down. And that was the amount I had to put down. So <laughs> that kind of yeah. set my course. And uh, there were a few a few hurdles to get through, but that's what started my interest in aviation, seeing it. So did you have any flying experience at all when you went to uh, AOCS? You know, I had gone out to my local airfield there in Roswell, New Mexico. My folks had moved there just for a little while for a a school 
for my younger sister. And I'd paid for a lesson, but really I just got a show me flight. I never really got okay. to have the controls. And I used one of my interview tickets. The company said that it would be okay if I turned in the ticket and used it for an instructor in an airplane. But he never mentioned ground school and uh, I never got a log book. So I kind of realized I don't really know that there were lessons. I think they were kind of show me flight. They were building time for their airline job. I, Never mind yours. Right, right. right. <laughs> I, uh, but when I got to AOCS, I honestly hardly knew what an aileron was until we learned in ground school. You know? Okay. Yeah. So, so hey, this is, uh, uh, before we go any further, I just got to say this is, uh, this is another historic um, interview in the fact that, first of all, uh, first female aviator, right? Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. And, uh, and she uh, is a naval aviator, so she wears the, the proper wings. Right. So that's awesome. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. N- enough, about, enough about that. But how you got those proper wings, we talked uh, with Gunny Go on one Gunny of our Go. shows who did eight. Oh, wow. His, yeah. It, did you know Gunny Go? Gunny Go for it? No. What, what, oh, uh, what oh year, go uh, for it. Yes. Go for it. Yeah. So what, what's your time frame when you went to AOCS, Bonnie? 1685 was the class I went into. And then half of our class got 180 degree wrong at the beginning of the NAV test. So we, we went back to uh, 168 or 1785, I think. What was the time frame? March 85. So that was Gunny. Gunny Go, was he there? Yeah, he, was, he would have been there because uh, he, I, I was so. a battery i was a battery xo in a hawk missile battery and he had just come from the drill field in 86 and was my battery first sergeant oh man told me some amazing stories of aocs back then and of his 20 years (laughs) what did he do like 12 on the uh, drill field at 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 paris island yeah at least that yeah Yeah. um so he was a professional drill instructor i I, I don't want to misspeak, but yeah. I wonder if I got put into his class okay. uh, whenever I, I rolled back a class for my Manav test. And um, he had one girl in his class, and she was so squared away, Eva Schofield. And I completely ruined her, you know, the girl <laughs> reputation when I went there because we, we, uh, we got secured, which our class never got secured. Yeah. But we were this new class, so squared away, and uh, got secured. And I told her, okay, I've got a car. We've got to go to the beach. I've never been to the beach. It's Pensacola. She just wasn't so sure that was a good idea, even though we had all day until five o'clock, you know, muster. But I talked her into it. We went there, and I could tell she was so nervous. I just went, we have four hours until muster, but okay. Uh, we're going to head out. And right then uh, there was some kind of medical emergency and a helicopter uh, sat down on the road. So it took about an hour, but we had three hours, no big deal. We get going and uh, there's a parade in the town and they've got so much of the town shut off. Of course, of course. And this is, is. this is before Google, you know, so uh, we're, we're circumnavigating and then we get stuck and now it's uh took us about two hours so we're no big deal we've got an hour and we're still making our way (laughs) 
And it comes down to we're going to make it, but it's going to be close. We're changing our clothes, putting our whites on over our swimsuits. We're, we're just getting ready to run straight from the car to muster. We get to the drawbridge and it goes up. Of course oh, it does. Of course it does. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're, mm-hmm. we're five minutes <laughs> late. No. And from, from that day on until we graduated every single day, I think it was Gunny go for that. He would have us come in. He would turn on the microphone so that everyone in the building could hear it. And as we did hop and pops, he would have me retell the story every day. <laughs> and then uh, as a lesson, he just, yeah, he was, he was amused, but he wanted to make sure we were abused. And so oh, that's like funny. That. Well, there's another story you talk about in your book, your first day checking into AOCS. Would you, oh, could you relay that please? Cause, uh, <laughs> You got suckered in on that one. That's just plain and simple. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting ready to, to launch into something I have been, I have been striving for, for, I don't know, six or seven years, practically since high school. So I'm super excited about it. And I've been working out. So I felt like, you know, coming from college athletics and, and doing well, I, I felt like I was up to the task, but I'm still nervous like anybody else. And I go to church that morning. They're on base. So I'll be really close. There's no way I'm going to not make it to check in for AOCS and sit down. And some young guy my age comes in, sits down, and he just finished AOCS. We got to chatting and he seemed like such a nice guy. I hope he hears this. He seemed like such a nice guy. And he told me, oh, you're going to, oh yeah, just, you know what? Just drive your car right up to the battalion. They'll help you carry your stuff in. It's oh. not till you get checked in and, and get your uniforms issued and stuff that they, you know. That's when the game starts. That you're, yeah, that's when the game <laughs> starts. I'm new to military and I'm familiar with ranch hand pranks, but not familiar with military pranks. So I drive up right where even admirals never dare to drive and got out of my old rusty Mustang and, and went in and everybody's screaming and hollering. And I'm thinking what mayhem, as soon as they saw me, everybody went quiet because I'm in a dress. I'm just straight from church and they think I'm somebody's girlfriend or something, I guess. Now that I look back on it, they're all suddenly very quiet. Can I help you ma'am? And I pulled out my papers to say I'm checking in and I mean all mayhem went out and they're screaming at me to secure something against the bulkhead I wasn't even carrying anything it was all still out in the car and then somebody noticed that the car is out there and they're like who in the blah 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 is parked on the on the street you know and I went oh that's mine I I just need to go get my things again it all went crazy so I, oh my gosh, I, um, he set you up. He totally so set totally. you up. <laughs> the only thing I wished I knew is, did he get to enjoy watching all this mayhem or did he move on? I'm sure he's enjoyed that thought through his life. Wow. But I didn't know what a bulkhead or secure meant. So when I did get my luggage and they were screaming that, I finally just said, if you would quit yelling and use plain language, <laughs> I could understand that. And of course... <laughs> I mean, they just went berserk. And then I finally get through all that and I'm <laughs> headed down the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm new to all this. I don't know. I'm supposed to be a foot away from 
the wall on the right side. I'm just walking down the middle of the hall and they're yelling, stupid, turn around, stupid, stupid. And I'm thinking to myself, that is no way to talk to somebody. And this girl is coming my way. And I'm thinking, <laughs> bless her heart that they would speak to her that way. <laughs> it was me that it was me that they were yelling at. And I never turned around. So oh I'm my sure gosh. They, they marked my picture for execution. <laughs> Welcome to AOCS. So in your AOC class, Bonnie, how many females? We were known as the class of females because there had never been three in the same class before. So Wow, a total were, of three. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, I, I went through OCS the summer of 86, and we had a platoon of female um, Marine officer candidates. Now, none of them had aviation contracts because the Marines didn't let females fly at that point. But right. uh, we had a whole platoon, so there was 30 in, in, my, in my, yeah, which was, and I'm going to tell you, uh, repeat, I don't know if you can corroborate this or not, but the female Marine drill instructors were like the devil and, and no, I avoided terrifying. them at all costs. <laughs> I would take a, I would take a good old fashioned ass chewing from any of the linebacker size Marine drill instructors just to avoid any one of those <laughs> Uh, they, female Marines. They, oh, were they, were mean. they were terrifying, and they used language that I'm afraid to use today. <laughs> <laughs> and was then it was yeah, um, but they segregated. Yeah, the uh, the males and females in Marine OCS. Can, um, hey, can I make an assumption? And I I shouldn't, but were there any female drill instructors at AOCS? No, okay. no. And the funny thing is, I think it was early enough in the program that our drill instructors around me, I never heard really horrible language uh now obviously you know we were pigs we were this we were that oh, sure. we're maggots um we we're stupid they really cleaned up their um, communications i felt like around us yeah. there i mean there may have been cussing but when i hear my husband's recount of the language that was used i was like wow you know i never heard any of that in fact we did get picked on a little bit i would say but it was in a way that it, it kind of earned our, our peers' respect. I got out of there just thinking, this is going to be great. I mean, tough, but, you know, we're just treated, I felt like, really fair. Well, good. Oh, that's awesome. They were professional. And, yeah. So, uh, so you finish AOCS and up to, uh, I was going to say up to Whiting, but no, as I recall reading in your book, uh, you, you're a uh, corpus. Yeah, Corpus, Corpus. fellow Corpus VT-27. Yeah, I got there not really knowing a lot about airplanes. Certainly ground school, you get to learn your systems and weather and all that. So that was great. Uh, I think the Navy does an extraordinary job, especially taking somebody with zero aerodynamics up to understanding what's going on. But as far as flying, there were things that there were gaps in uh, Captain Costin, United States Marine Corps, was my on-wing. And I always felt like they kind of held out the sticks and he got the short stick. But he was never, uh, he always was such a gentleman. I've talked to him, we've kept in touch, and I've told him, you know, you set such a standard that I think it was hard for the rest of my my uh, tour in the Navy for a gentleman to, to rise to that standard. He was just a prince among men. That's and, awesome uh, to hear. What was his uh, fleet background, Bonnie? What did he fly in the fleet? 
Yeah, he flew, I believe, C-130s, and then he went on to test pilot school. He was extraordinary. But the first flight, he demoed most of what we did. And then the second, and I kind of took notes of the departure and how to navigate within the MOA. You know, I didn't have my instrument. Nobody, or very few new instruments at that point. So we used ground reference points. And then we're going to the outlying field to do touch of ghost. And he said, hey, you know what? Let's just do the downwind entry instead of going all the way around for the break. He's still demoing, but I remember my heart just stood still for a minute because I'd studied, I thought, really thoroughly, but I had no idea what a downwind entry was. <laughs> it, I know that sounds silly now, but so oh. uh, he rolled he rolled inverted, pulled down around and wound up on downwind heading, downwind altitude. And I thought, I can't write this on my knee board, but I drew what I thought it looked like, you know, and then we got busy doing touch and goes, which I'm sure were were scary because in my mind, I had this picture of landing because I hadn't ever landed before. And in my mind, it was it was supposed to look something like how birds land, you know, how they stop when they land. Uh -huh. So he he had he tried to help me understand that no no we can't stop and then land wait a minute why not so, isn't that how we yeah. did it, Fig? we stopped and landed right well that's oh, true that's goodness. a fact uh, it was and, terrifying um, <laughs> so we we got through that and got back and we did uh the the break coming in and the next day it was my turn he goes show me that you listened and we went around and did everything and then we were about the same place the day before and i checked uh, the winds and they were landing the same direction. So I did the downwind entry best I could. And uh, we know wait, wait. Marines don't scream. Did you? Did you? Yeah. So I you did. did a split S to the downwind. I, I just, yeah. And, uh, and <laughs> oh, he knows, so awesome. this is, he knows this is one of my first times in charge of an airplane. And uh, he didn't have his mask on, you know, and instructors aren't required to be hot mask. And uh, so I could hear, his his excited voice uh over the engine and then i could hear the pounding of fists on the canopy <laughs> so i i i thought oh. i'm not sure he was buckled in for my downwind like i was buckled in for his downwind <laughs> but when we rolled upright and he could get his mask back on he wanted to know what in the world was that what was and that I, it's what, it's I what said, you did it's what I you showed me the, the right? downwind entry and he just started cracking up because, oh my gosh, I've got to be careful what I do around here. Right. And um, it was a debrief item, but you know, we never spoke of it again. <laughs> that is outstanding. That is, so, yeah, that is amazing. Whoops. Okay. Uh, don't yeah. demonstrate aerobatic entries into the pattern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have to tell you this because you triggered a memory. I'm flying uh, at my current job with a brand new, uh, you know, first officer. I'm talking brand new. And as we're taxiing in, uh, I, I said, you know, shut down. Uh, let's see, what did I say? I said, shut one down. And we always shut the number two, the right engine down as you're pulling into the gate, right? And, but I said, shut one down. And uh, I heard an engine shut down. I'm looking out taxiing. And as we pull into the gate area, I start pushing the number one throttle up because we need a little extra power and nothing's working. And I look down and I see the number one engine shut down and the number two's running. And I looked at him, I go, why'd you shut down number one? 
he looks at me and he goes, well, you told me to. And I'm, I'm like, you're right. <laughs> I did. Words, <laughs> words are important. Do what I mean, not what I say. The same Good thing. God. He showed you what the downwind entry was, and you did it. Uh, exactly. Right, right. I was a faithful <laughs> student to what I was taught. <laughs> okay, so primary. Sure. Obviously, you did well enough uh, to get uh, your choice of uh, yes. jets. And I'm assuming that was your first choice. Yes. I, I have to say, just on the human interest side of it, uh, most of most of my peers in flight, I thought it was flight two or flight three. I don't yeah, know how many flights. Yeah, there were three flights, flights I think, in, in VT twenty seven. Okay. I don't remember which one I was in, but yeah, it was flight one, two, and three. Yep. Okay, I think I was in flight three, and it was mostly in uh, marine instructors and mostly marine students. And you know, as far as the instructors, most of them were kind of cautious. There was about one girl a year that would come through Corpus. And so they were, you know, just uh, kind of quiet around me. And the students who just came from the basic school, you know, they they kind of went silent around me as well. Just I wasn't part of the Marine group, but sure. it, uh, you know, it just kind of got a little isolating to always cause silence to happen in the ready room. Oh, and sure. Yeah, you mentioned it in your book. It was kind of lonely. It was. And I was telling my mom about it. By that time, my folks had moved and they had a phone. And so I would call home every day to tell them what I'd been doing. I told mom, I am on an island. I'm on an isolated island that's heavily populated. I mean, it's just so odd. And she said, well, just um, ask some of them to dinner and get to know them. And I'm like, mom, I'm I'm sorry. I don't understand, guys, mom. <laughs> they're, they're just from the basic school. They're warriors. You know, they're not wanting to have dinner with somebody they don't even talk to at the squadron. And she said, well, I, I don't really know what to tell you. And a couple of days later, Nelson Albert, who was one of the most gregarious, confident Marine students in the group, he had his back to the door and he was going on about it. it's his birthday. His mom already sent his package. He'd gone and picked it up and everybody's chatting about it until I walk in and everybody else goes silent, but he keeps chatting. And then you can see him kind of stop and turn around. And it's me that has caused such a silence. And I said, well, happy birthday. If you'd like to invite some of your friends, I'll make you a birthday cake and birthday dinner. And everybody just remains silent. He remains silent. <laughs> oh, and gosh. I turned around and walked out. And I thought, okay, I always thought that was a bunch of psycho babble hoo about somebody taking over your body. But I felt like my mom took over my body for a moment. Because oh <laughs> I thought, why did I say that? Why? 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 Well, that'll be hard to live down. But you know what? I'm going to fly airplanes until they take me to the gate and say, go home. So I just, I'm going to go fly airplanes. The next day, Nelson handed me this piece of paper that I swear he picked it up off the side of the road. It'd been, it looked like it had footprints and car prints and it was crumply. <laughs> yes. And it had four names on it of the other guys that were coming and two or four, I think it was four names anyway, and asked, where do you live? And we're I coming, said, we're coming over yeah. for birthday cake. Yeah. Nelson, uh, we... We became friends that evening and um, they gave me a hard time because growing up as a Nazarene, you know, we just, 
my family didn't drink, didn't have alcohol in the house. And so when I invited all these guys over for a shrimp boil and birthday cake, I had lemonade, Kool-Aid and milk. <laughs> they said, where's and, the beer? Right, right. After <laughs> dinner, they finally said, okay, Terry Joe, you know, where's the alcohol? And I went, I, I don't have any. They you got literally some rubbing alcohol if your back hurts. Uh. <laughs> they got up and searched my apartment. I mean, they were opening cabinets <laughs> and thought stuff. you were messing with them. I was messing with them and they started cracking up and uh, later they got Kool-Aid packets and did what they had to, to order me a Kool-Aid picture, you know, with a happy little face. Oh my God. <laughs> but we studied for the next two years, three aircraft together and happy memories of, awesome. of the start in Corpus. <clears throat> so that was the icebreaker. Uh, for you <laughs> yeah. and those Marines. And then they started treating you like a fellow aviator at that point. Right. We got together on Sunday afternoons, nice. barbecue to do the gouge and stuff like that. The gouge. I got to put that on the glossary. No one knows what the gouge is. The gouge. You live by the gouge, die by the gouge, but it's exactly. all the information that you need to know, but isn't in the books anywhere. Yeah. Right. You live and die by the gouge. So you wind up wandering up to Beeville, which is where I met you. So you go through Beeville. Right. T2s, A4s, the mighty Buckeye. Right. So any funny stories from flight school or, uh, and then after that, well, this is, and this is where I met you. Cause I was, I went through flight school. I think I was about a year and a half behind you. Cause I, when I came through T2s, you were one of the SIR grads, which uh, right. remind me what that stands for. Service graduate. Okay. So you, you just graduated from flight school, but rather than going to the fleet, they, they bring you back to one of the uh, squadrons to, right. to teach what you have just right. Right. And T2's one funny story as a student, again, being new, I had practiced over the weekends, you know, getting up into the T2, you know, you'd have to kick step your way up and you had to start on the correct foot, kind of like getting on a horse. You don't want to put your right foot in the saddle uh, or, right. you know, in the stirrup to get unless off. You like <laughs> unless you like riding backwards. Unless you like riding backwards. And the T2 made me think of, you know, okay, get the proper step and so that you wound up. And then I'd go through my, my uh, checklist. Everything looked great. And my first flight got ready, went down there. But the difference was getting ready for the flight. I put on my G-suit, my torso harness, my vest. And, you know, G-suits, if, if whoever's listening doesn't know what a G-suit is, I mean, it's kind of like a steel reinforced uh, yoga pants. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> tight. And then you've got your torso harness on, which is not loose. And so whenever I went to kick my foot up to get up into the first step, I hit that, that T2 so hard with my toe about two inches shy of the kick step that it was, I, I felt like a gong had gone off and I resonated all the way up from my steel toes to my teeth. And I made my instructor and the plane captain jump and, and step back and look at me. But, you know, there's noise enough that you're not going to explain what happened. It's too embarrassing to go into. I just stepped back, took another try and went on. He never asked me about it. Never mentioned it. <laughs> take but, that. Yeah, That's take all. that. It looked like take I that, was jet. kicking him before I, I flew him. But no, T2's great, great skipper, uh, Captain Fred Grant or commander at that time, Fred Grant, one of my, one of my favorite skippers of my whole time I was in the Navy. So T2s was, it was fun. That was awesome. And that's where, that's where we met. And we wound up going on a cross country together. 
uh, <laughs> yeah. the, and uh, we were going to do a, a weekend long cross country. I think probably get in like six instrument lakes. We were going to go from Beeville, Texas mm -hmm. to South Weymouth. Uh, first right. stop was Little Rock Air Force Base. And oh, um, we got to know Little Rock Air Force Base really well. Uh, and, and I'm going to say, I, I was so disappointed. Yeah. Well, so Tammy Joe only mentioned me once in the book, um, in, in, in her book. Uh, I, I am known as a couple of flat tires. <laughs> Wait a minute. I, okay. Uh, I might have checked out for a second. Were, were, uh, were you guys in T2s or A4s? Yes, T2s. Okay, she T2s. was a surgrad instructor. T2s. I was coming through as a student. Okay. And okay. so we, we land in Little Rock. And I'm going to blame it on you. I was an instrument student in the back seat. So sure. I'm going to blame the landing and the blown sure. tires on you. Um, sure. <laughs> it's what I do. If it goes wrong, yeah. it's not my fault. If, it's, right, if it went right. well, I, I take full credit. So uh, the tires blow, and guess guess who doesn't keep spare T2 tires laying around? Anyone in the Air Force, or anyone so. in the Marine Corps, anyone in the Navy except for the three training bases. <laughs> right. So we find ourselves spending the weekend in Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah, we, would, we did some bowling, as I recall. Got some bowling done. <laughs> Were you stuck on the base? Yes. Well, the question I have, I don't remember where we got them, but somewhere along the line, we got some Razorback hats, these stuffed pig Razorback hats. <laughs> and they came up, I think it was Sunday, they came and changed the tires. And Monday morning, we made our way back to Beeville. And once we were cleared off the taxiway and onto the ramp, off come the helmets and the masks and on come the Razorback hats. And we pulled into the parking spot with our Razorback hats on. <laughs> the T2. What you're not including in that story is the fact that it was a freezing weekend. It was, it was brutally cold. Yeah. And the Air Force right. had already chosen to go to air conditioning. So there was no heat. Oh, of course. So, yeah. So the only place they had turned back on heat was in public spaces. So that's why we spent so much time bowling that weekend because <laughs> we, I, our rooms were freezing. And something I don't think I'd ever yeah. told you, Pete, was... Having just gotten married, and I married an Aggie, and from New Mexico, I have no idea of these rivalries. And when I wore that a Razorback hat home, I got to have my first disapproving look from my husband. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. He he, uh, yeah. He said that is not something we'll be wearing around this house. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. In fact, I have I have uh, often referred to it as the longest winter of my life was the weekend I spent <laughs> in Little Rock. So yeah, that was cold. Oh, yes. um, <laughs> to paraphrase, were, I think it was John Steinbeck, but <laughs> you were a trooper. I will say, uh, we I still laugh about that weekend, and it was miserable, but it was so fun. So hats off to you, repeat. Well, you got it. You got it. <laughs> right wherever you go, whatever you're doing, if you, if you don't make make your own fun, then uh, shame on you. So. Exactly. Can we back up just a second? I got a question. T2s and A4s, what uh, boat did you go to? Or did you go to the same boat twice? Lexington. Yeah, it was always Lexington. Okay. Which is now a museum floating in Corpus Christi. And we are, we are aspiring to do a podcast from the, from the Lexington. From the Lex. Yeah. Uh, okay. Hopefully in coordination with some kind of a squadron or, or Harrier reunion. We're, we're working on that aspect. Oh, yeah. very good. Well, uh, we'll talk afterwards. Oh, and also while I'm thinking about it, uh, so uh, when we when we talked with Gunny Go, he told us that they do a AOCS reunion in Pensacola 
and uh, he always gets invited. And so we were going to try to maybe go to go to one of those. And and if you are part of that, you yeah. should look into that. That would be awesome. I just found out about that myself. So um, definitely, I would love to go. I think that would be so fun. And of course, repeat, if we can work that out, we should do a podcast from there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Do you know what time of year it is or is it change? Is it in the fall or the spring, Fig? Do you remember? I thought it was fall. I think yeah. it was fall because I think they'd had it and he couldn't go this last year because he was right. uh, he convalescing from yeah. his war wounds. So, so you did, uh, is it a two-year tour or a three-year tour as a, as a, a Sir grad? Two. Okay. Yes. And, and then Two from there, uh, so, so just so, just to set the stage here, cause I, I have a little bit of corporate knowledge. There was a, there was a Sir grad, uh, I'm not going to say her name, but she was awesome in, in, uh, in, I went, I went through Meridian in the 88, 89 okay. timeframe. And, um, there were also two Navy uh, females it, that checked in, oh, somewhere around uh, the time I checked in. They were maybe a little behind me. They were in the same class um, as well. Yeah. And I know that they, um, they couldn't, there was only a certain airframes that you could select, right? Uh, right. Uh, and and uh, I remember one of, the, one of the, uh, the gals that was close to me was, got A4s somewhere uh barber's point probably okay. and i didn't know they was they were support squadron like they flew profiles and did red air stuff yeah. you know but just no um deployments yeah. so so can you can you kind of right. walk us through all right after you sure. left um uh, unless you have any terrifying stories you want to tell about being a surgeon <laughs> did you ever have your hand on the aside from flying with repeat <laughs> <laughs> you know um it, it, as a sir grad was probably my first time i i uh I thought this is not going well. And I had not reached for the ejection handle, but I did tell my student, don't touch anything because I was an out of control flight instructor. My last year as a sir grad, I Ooh, taught hey, that. Explain that, explain that oh. because that, that's a, that's an intense sortie. Would you, uh, would you walk <laughs> us through that? Before you go into that, I want to say anybody who's never been in an airplane or has been in an airplane, but not an out of control flight, if they've seen the carnival ride, the zipper, that's about the closest <laughs> approximation to what it's the like zipper. if you've ever been on that. And oh right. God, I mean, I think you pull four negative G's at one point on right. the zipper if you're in the please, right spot. Uh, please yeah. go into detail about the yeah. OCF flight because okay. there was two. There was sure. one and then one. Before, then when you were in A4s, you went back, if I remember right. right, you went back to T2s and did another one right. before you started the ACM syllabus. Yeah. Right. And, right. And, oh, and one more uh, before you go into this. So we had, uh, you, I think his name was Belcher, Commander Belcher in yeah. T2s. You remember that name? Because that's who I, I did mine with. And every time what this man would do before we'd go up, before he'd put his oxygen man mask on, he'd take a big old wad of red man. No. And put it in his cheek. And that dude swallowed. He never that that would make me sick on the ground without yeah. OCF. And okay. Commander Belcher yeah. would put a, a jaw of red man in his yeah. uh in his and go. Yeah. So I, I have taken us down a horrible rabbit hole. My apologies. So back to what an OCF flight. I'm is. deleting everything I just heard you say. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying not to think about it. No, oh, uh, out of control flight is really just uh, what it sounds like. And we did a positive out of control flight before you soloed in 
uh, T2s. And then before you would solo in A4s, you'd come back for a negative out-of-control flight, negative spins. And we did positive spins for T2 students. So I did... I did out of control flight. Yes. Explain the difference between a negative and a positive. Oh, sure. Positive spin flight or out of control flight. We we focused on your upright flat spins and stalls and things like that, which would pull actually more lateral G than positive G. But you would go through lateral, positive, negative uh, while you kind of flopped around a little bit after you departed to uh, get settled into the oscillations of a flat spin. But if you're doing the A4 uh, OCF flight, that was a negative spin flight. So you would uh, put in the controls that would make you be upside down in a spin and you were doing negative G and lateral G and it was most uh, uncomfortable. And so those were the two and the instructors dreaded them as much as the students. When I started, I noticed some of my students were just gulping and turning green before, while we were on the ground. And I kind of realized, okay, I think everybody's building this up to the point that they're getting sick, just thinking about it. And they, nobody's eating before they go, go on this flight. So I told them, look, I would get sick on an empty stomach with positive 100% oxygen, a positive pressure. So you've got to eat something and we'll, we'll save some fuel to do something fun at the end, whether it's sightsee or if you want to do aerobatics, I mean, it'll be your gas to do something you want to practice your landings, whatever, but this really isn't that bad. What we would do is go up to about 30,000 feet and we had tip tanks in the T2 and we would do stalls, whether they were straight ahead, clean, dirty in a turn, whatever. And they're pretty minor departure from controlled flight and practice just recovering those. And then when the tip tank fuel burned down, then we would go to the more dynamic departures. Some of them just straight up. And if it was a calm day, we'd do what you call light a fire and see if you could get (laughs) up there and slide straight back. So your exhaust has some fuel left over in it and your engines would light that on fire and it'd flash up beside your canopy, you know, those little (laughs) fun things before you, you uh, kind of parade through some lateral positive negative G's and get into that flat kind of a maple leaf flat uh, spin. And then the student would figure out uh, which direction they're going and put in the controls to, uh, opposite rudder and aileron to get out of it and then we would if they didn't do that by about eighteen thousand feet then i would do it and we would get up there and do it again depart recover repeat about 10 times and um i would usually become familiar with what they had had for breakfast and then help maintenance (laughs) clean that up when we got on the ground but one day we went up and the t2s were pretty uh, they were aging uh, when we got there. And so those little um, level bubbles that show you your level of fuel, right. they were so uh, scratched up that sometimes you really couldn't tell what the bubble was. <laughs> and we went up there and the very first stall, we snapped over into a spiral, not a spin, a spiral. <sighs> like that. I mean, it just slapped our, our helmets against the canopy. 
It was so oh boy. decisive. And that was a big cockpit. And Getting your head over to the canopy was no no easy feat. That was it was it was uh, pretty decisive, and we didn't have any procedures to get out of a spiral. There were no procedures. We didn't teach them. They weren't in the T two natops. And uh, as we're spiraling down, I took the controls immediately because it wasn't a spin. And uh, I just remember the student we had pre briefed. You know, whoever's not flying calls out the altitude. You know. 28, 27, 26. Well, I took over immediately because this wasn't something we knew anything about and was trying different inputs. And I remember his voice starting out pretty, you know, 25, 24, 20, and then 20, 19, 18, 17, 16. <laughs> and, um, and about 10,000 feet, and we're not getting any uh, response. I have this adrenaline really it's so funny because it does, um, it really does make you incredibly strong, I think, but it also makes your brain work so fast. And I remember having all this time between 10,000 and 5,000 to think, dad gummit, I'm getting married in a few weeks. And when I eject, I am going to be the <laughs> monster bride of, of bruises and Dad gummit. And uh and I remember throwing the right. stick forward and doing one more rudder pump on each side and it wobbled out at five thousand. And you know, we're just straight nose down as fast as, oh as the T two can go. And at five thousand, which was the required you have to be under control at fiber, you have to eject. And at five thousand, I said, Don't touch anything. Because I didn't want to say don't don't pull the injection because you know it you'd only hear as soon as it, he ejection. hears as soon as he hears the word ejection so <laughs> boom so we pull out um, obviously above the ground oh, and yeah. and honestly it was a stupid move I admit it but just being a girl instructor and with a new skipper that was not a very friendly one uh, I thought I am not going to go back without this finished. Plus the student will never want to get in an airplane again uh, if we act like this almost killed us or made us eject. Right. You know? And so I said, you know, maybe just get your, your inputs in a little, a little sooner. And we climbed up and finished the flight. But by that time, <laughs> the, the uh, fuel in the right. tip tank had, had been used. Uh, what had happened was, we had an asymmetrical loading because there was a slower drain of fuel out of one tip tank. Maintenance told us that after we landed and oh, after we called a uh, test pilot, oh. uh, their TPS and said, we just got into a spiral and they're like, Oh no, I don't think you did. And I said, I described it. I said, yeah, I think, I think we did. I know what a spin is. I know what a stall is. And he goes, yeah, how does that happen? You have to be asymmetrically loaded for that to happen. That's why we never even put it in the nade tops. So we went down mm -hmm. to maintenance and they're like, you know, that one's been uh, sticking a little bit. <laughs> so the, oh, a the little student, fuel in the tip tank. What could go wrong? Student got out and kissed the ground when we finished. <laughs> and uh, I saw him years later and he, he was hilarious in retelling the tale better than I do. <laughs> That's wild. That is just crazy. That's that's a good story. It is a good story. Oh my gosh.
terrifying. <laughs> Don't touch anything. Yeah. Anything. But uh, then on your so, question, really, so, was uh, on to the A7. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So, so you had a, you came up, you finished your two years as a SUR grad, and they said, mm-hmm. uh, okay, you have to, you have a choice to make, right? So, how, how well, did that work? And, right. And, I had been looking around for what I wanted to do next, obviously, for a while. And uh, VAQ 34 out in Point Magoo was flying A7s and uh, doing tactical. Uh, missions, you know, doing profiles, either bear and big profiles against Top Gun and other squadrons or missile profiles against ships. And so I, I thought, okay, that, that sounds good. And I went to, uh, you know, we studied the Chinese, Russian and French weapons and profiles and then uh, simulated those against our own fleet. I went through the A7 RAG and um, then went on to T-34, or not T-34, VAQ-34. And uh, about a year into that is when Congress uh, began considering lifting the combat exclusion policy. And that had been something that had been echoing back and forth for a while. And honestly, none of us ladies really ever chatted about it. We just were focused on doing the best at what we had available to us. And when you get in, knowing those things are closed off to you, you don't come in banging on the door like, I will do this. I know some uh, some people feel like, well, why, why wasn't this a big issue with you? And I'm thinking, because when I got hired, it wasn't available. And I was just tackling the next thing in line, knowing that how we flew the A7 and what we were already available, what was already available to us, would be a great um, precursor to whether or not they opened it up to women, because the Air Force absolutely did not allow women in tactical cockpits or in tactical um, missions. The Army, the Marine Corps, the Navy was it, and there was just a couple of squadrons with a couple of girls in each squadron. So. You know, we did realize, and there was some people that came to kind of look over uh, how the women were functioning in in cockpits uh, at our squadron. Commander Mariner was our skipper. She was in the first class of women to ever fly military aircraft in a military uniform. Uh, And she sent Pam and I to go do the A7 weapons training, which we didn't get when we went through the first time as BAQ pilots. I'm going to be back up for just a second and ask now. Uh, sure. So uh, you talked about Commander Mariner, um, and I'm going to add, I think, to the ex- to the exclusion of back in World War II when women were transport pilots strictly. That's all they were ever allowed to do. They were allowed to fly military airplanes, but they were only transport pilots. Move but but they were not B. allowed... Right. They were not allowed in the military, nor were they allowed to wear military wings. Is that right? I did not know that. I assumed that they, I assumed that they were military and had rank. When they had a death among them, they collected from among them to pay for the body to be buried or to help their parents with the funeral. Their wings were their wings were bought and paid for by Jacqueline, who started it and was married to a wealthy 
wealthy gentlemen, but no, they had nothing from the military. I did but not jet, know but that. aircraft wow. applied. They were. I stand corrected. Jacqueline uh, Cochran. Yeah. Cochran, thank you. Yeah. Her and Nancy Love was very instrumental. I have a, I have a two two quick questions before you go on, and I'm mm -hmm. enthralled by this. Actually, I have a question, then I have a kind of a statement. A, a seven rag, Lemoore's where you went through. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So my statement I want to make is just so it's perfectly clear to the listeners. At this time frame, the percentage of naval aviators that are female at this point is a, is a fraction of a percent. They really didn't do percentages back then uh, because there, when I got out, there were six. Uh, there, were, <laughs> there were four of All us. Right. There were four of us that flew F-18s when I left. In A-7s, there were... Commander Mariner, Blue A7s, Pam, Sue, and myself. There had been, Lori had flown A7s, but she wasn't there anymore. She was at China Lake. So a total, there might have been six or seven to have flown them ever, I, I think. Right. That, that's what I thought. And so just to put things into perspective. Yeah. When you start, when you start a pilot training class, there's a large population and then it gets really small when you go to the jet transition. And then yes. it gets really small when you graduate and, and you are in a such a unique category to make it that far and then succeed where, you know, the attrition rate's pretty high. I don't know what, it, I, I yeah. can't remember what it was, but I know the attrition rate was high for everybody. Right. And then when you factor in the, the part about, the numbers that you're starting with, you're, uh, all, the, all the females that started are significantly. So, so this, is, this is very unique in, in, for more than one reason. Okay, I just needed to get that off my chest. Oh, well, and I, awesome. you know, I don't remember the attrition rate exactly. I just remember you start getting divided up into different aircraft. First, you divide up into helo props or jets. And then you take the jet community and you divide up into A7s, I think at that time, A6, F14s, uh, A4s. I don't know. There was uh, some cargo, some admiral carriers. You know, there was different things. So you're right. You just get splintered and splintered and splintered. And so, uh, yeah, it's a pretty small group that's going through the rag at that time. And there wasn't another woman you, going through at that time you picked a7 uh what, what were what was available to you a7s a4s for as far as tactical jets what were your right. choices well they had just opened up the s3 going on and off the carrier and commander grant asked me if i wanted to do that and i said not really i want to fly something tactical if i have the chance and gretchen dayab was a student that was going through at that time and when she finished a4, she uh, became the first woman to fly S3s on and off the boat. She's a great student. I, I know she, she probably flourished in that community. But I, I held on. I wanted to go to Captain Mariner's squadron. I had gotten married. My husband had opportunity to fly something on the same coast over there. If we went to the other coast, I would be way down in uh, Miami area in BAQ-33, uh, or out in Hawaii at Barber's Point. You know, it was too far away. So that was the coast that we could both fly something fairly close together. And so really that's how I came up with 
wanting to go A7s and, and was able to get that. How many hours did you get in the A7, Bonnie? Gosh, I don't know. I flew it for about um, two and a half years. I'm sorry, I don't know. That's funny. Okay, I haven't okay. been That's asked right. that before. <laughs> so in the A7 and then you transitioned to the Hornet? Yes. Is that uh, right? A year and a half in the Hornet, a little over a year and a half in the Hornet. And then our squadron was standing down at that time. And the combat exclusion policy had gone through. It had been lifted. And then the military was starting to incorporate it. And um, while I had been my skipper's first choice to transition to the F-18, we had a new skipper. And I, I checked, I think the Navy was probably really wise in their choice, but my year group was one year group too far to transition and do a fleet tour because I would go out to sea for the first time being either a super J.O. tour or a department head tour and not having gone before. I think they were wise, even though it, it shut the door for me to do it. Life goes on. I had some great opportunities ahead of me. I want to say, first of all, Tammy Joe, thank you for your service to our yes. country. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your uh, laying the path ahead for all the women who are now flying tactical jets. If that was not the case when you came through, and I know you don't view yourself as a pathfinder and a glass ceiling breaker and all that. Took the words right out of my mouth. But you have done good work, and so many people, their lives are easier because of the hardships you endured with the grace that you did. So thank you for that. To our listeners, I want to ask you to go to sotherawas.us slash rumble, and please subscribe. So once we get to 100 subscribers, we don't have to pay to bring you these live streams on Rumble anymore. Thank you also to our sponsor, robinsbirdbraindesigns.com. If you'd like your squadron logo and your call sign on a slate coaster, laser etched on a slate coaster, that'd be a good place to go. Robinsbirdbraindesigns.com. We do have a, a glossary page on so there I was.us. So if you heard a term like HUD or Pipper or something like that, I'll get those up there and we'll explain what those are if we didn't explain it during the show. We also have a links page so that you can view the Rumble videos, but you have to be subscribed to so there I was.us to get to that links page so you can get to the Rumble videos. Thank you to Dave Hamilton over at the Mac Geek Gab for his support in helping us get this up and underway. And thank you to Dos Gringos for the music. Here's a true story. So in the meantime, until we meet again, stay safe and at night, check six. In the world's smallest cockpit, on the tanker, through the weather. Oh, and to the uh, tanker crew who uh, did that. Thanks a lot. We really appreciated that. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Well, there I was, crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun. Oh, out of control!